I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime. Blue Wire. Do you and I think the problem was, if we're being honest, hmm. when you start recording, there's two buttons and it says leave meeting or continue. And I think a couple of times I've accidentally hit leave meeting. Mm. Which, you know, like... Actually, I don't know because, you know, I never make mistakes and I'm actually quite smart, so. I feel like I'm gonna throw up right now. (laughs) I'm I'm joking. (laughs) Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Unsalvageable, a Utah jazz podcast and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network with me, Sarah Todd, jazz beat reporter for the Deseret News, and as always, my co-host, Greg Foster. Greg, I think I'm losing my voice. (laughs) We're going to get through this. We can do it. We're facing adversity. I think that I'm... We're going to pull through. I think that I'm getting a cold, but I don't care. I'm going to push through the fourth quarter and... I'm going to change the momentum of this podcast by sticking with it, just like Mike Conley did last night. He's so good. He's so good. I know we talk a lot about poetry on this podcast. This is a pro poetry podcast. We love poetry on here. We also really like enunciation Mm. and and alliteration. Love it. (laughs) But watching Mike Conley turn back into Captain Clutch against the Memphis Grizzlies poetry it's so strange that you know we talked about it before this series even really started that that changing of the guard and what mike conley meant to memphis for all those years Mm -hmm. and then you know we saw that pump up video the grizzlies had tweeted out where you see the back of mike conley he moves out of the way and it reveals john morant's face and i think that i don't think that either of those players are mad about the situation it's like they both appreciate their position in that narrative Mm -hmm. and it's I think it's just amazing what Mike Conley is doing at the tail end of his career in this series it with this jazz team in this playoffs it's incredibly impressive and I'm just really glad that I'm here to see it happen agreed yeah I think you know if if we look at it objectively i think both teams made the right decision right you know, the, the jazz needed a floor general um the grit and grind era is over you know marcus all and zebo were gone and tony allen wasn't playing anymore and it was you know it was time for a changing of the guard and you have this prolific transcendent kid coming out of college you go get him yeah and i think yeah, I tweeted it out last night. You know, Jazz take a pretty commanding 3-1 series lead. Um, 
and they're they're more than likely going to win this series. They're the deeper team. They have a better team. They've played Memphis seven times this season. They've won six of those games, and the one game they lost was a one possession game without um, Donovan. Without Donovan Mitchell on the final possession of the game, like they're just they're the better team. But I am so excited and so thrilled that Ja Morant is is getting this prime time spotlight and he's excelling because he is so fun to watch and yeah. he's, he's just electric and he's so good. And this is his second year in his playoff debut. This is likely the worst he's ever going to be in the playoffs. Yeah. And I feel the same wild. Yeah. And I feel the same way about Jaron Jackson jr. Yep. Like, I mean, this guy came back from injury on April 21st and he's he's been asked you know within a month of that to ramp up to playoff intensity like this is probably the worst that J- Triple J is going to look yeah he's also going up against Rudy Gobert who is the best defender the NBA has seen in what a decade right yeah like that's a really tall task and you know I think we can nitpick Triple J's game but he's he's had an impact on this series and the kid is going to be really good really soon yeah i it's it's a team to be it feels you know like we're we're eulogizing the memphis grizzlies right now but i and that's not the case the jazz are up three to one i obviously memphis has a chance but let's get into what happened to bring them to three to one game on monday night in memphis the jazz swept the two games on the road what, what were some things that stood out to you at the beginning of that game? Uh, one of the things that would have been nice if I could have watched the very beginning of the game instead yeah. of having to watch Ben Simmons brick free throws. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. it's also my fault for not having NBA TV. So LOL. It's, I was, you know, sitting in the arena and I, I have the luxury of sitting in the arena and watching the game from the tip, but seeing the discourse on social media, it was, you know, there was a lot of excitement and the jazz, the NBA tried to postpone the game as much as they could Yeah, to a reasonable extent. We were, you know, we were watching the game and, or we were watching warmups and, you know, me and Eric Walden, or Salt Lake Tribune jazz writer sitting next to each other. And we were like, kind of, the time seems a little off. It looks like we're kind of headed for an 8.50 start. And we were kind of wondering what's happening. And we'll look at Twitter. And then we find out that the, the Wizards have gone to hack a Simmons and that it's working. And so we're like, okay, well, I guess we are headed for it. We The game tipped at 8.51 p.m. Central Time, which is yikes, too late. <laughs> Almost 10 o'clock on the East Coast. Yeesh. Yeah, and all because Ben Simmons can't hit a free throw. Ben Simmons has some of the worst free throw form I've ever seen. I was thinking about this last night. Like, what is it about Ben Simmons that is so ruffling? And I think that what I've come to the decision that it is, is it's happened to Brett Brown and it's happening to Doc Rivers now where when he's asked questions about Ben Simmons and when the media is critical of Ben Simmons, they're kind of forced into this position where they have to defend him and have to, because what's the head coach going to do? It's not like the head coach is going to go out there and be like, yeah, Ben, I wish Ben Simmons would play better and hit a jump shot and maybe hit a free throw every once in a while. Like the coach can't say that. 
and Ben Maybe is too. Should, though. Ben is too high profile of a player. You know who knows about the politicking and the bureaucratic stuff that happens behind sure. the scenes. I think what the the issue is with Ben is I don't think that anybody thinks he's a bad player. I actually think that everyone thinks he's amazing. Mm-hmm. He is an incredible basketball player. He's incredible. I mean, there there were times when I was covering that team and I watched Ben Simmons play and I thought this is amazing. Like very Magic Johnson esque. Mm-hmm. And the problem that I have with Ben Simmons is that he has the potential to be one of the best basketball players to have ever played the game. And the fact that he does not maximize that potential is infuriating. Yeah. Amen. I think that's, that's really well said, especially when you have such glaring deficiencies in your game and you are not locking yourself in the gym and dedicating large, large chunks of time. It's to so, remedying yeah. those deficiencies and getting better. I'm not yeah. saying that like Ben Simmons needs to be Steph Curry when it comes to shooting, but you have to be at least respectable. It's like, it's as easy as maybe just take the three shots that you're open for a game. Yeah. It is not. Diff- and like, I mean, we're talking about in order to maximize his potential, he would really only have to do three things take open shots, play through contact, hit a free throw. That's it. And then he's like one of the best basketball players in the game. Yeah. He's probably the best perimeter defender in the league right now. Definitely. He's so versatile. He's such a fabulous passer. Mm -hmm. He's a great rebounder. He's He's incredibly fast. Yeah. He's got a great handle, Mm -hmm. but you know, I guess it sucks to suck. Yeah. Getting back to the jazz. Uh, <laughs> Tangent City. You know, the jazz, one of the nice things that happened was that they came out and they looked good right from the start. They yes. had a they had a great start to the game. That's one of the things that we've kind of been harping on. And I don't think that they really had a, a collapse like we've seen in the other games. They had a, a few times where things went wrong and they, I don't think they played uh, a complete game because I think that I actually don't think they really gave it a hundred percent on yeah. Monday night, but I think that for the first time they didn't have like a, a, a huge chunk of collapse like we've seen in the other games in the series. Yeah, I thought the fourth quarter was a little uh, disappointing when they allowed Melton to go off, and you know they had the fourteen point lead that was cut to three. Um, but at no time during that run did I not think that they were going to correct and right the ship. Like, it just seemed inevitable, especially watching it as soon as, like, you know, the Jazz uh, got their lead cut to three and then hit a couple of shots. And it kind of felt like, oh, I'm watching a rerun of game three. Right. And except it wasn't just it wasn't the Donovan Mitchell show. It was more uh, it was more balanced. It was kind of a comeback by committee, but I didn't have that same anxiety that I've had in the previous games. And maybe that's just because of familiarity at this point and kind of understanding that like, this is kind of how the series has gone as well as like, if you go back and watch those regular season games too, the Jazz had one game where they blew the Memphis Grizzlies out. The other two were close, hard fought games. And this game... 
I put it in my notes that it kind of felt a little bit like, uh, I know I keep using boxing analogies, but it kind of felt like a heavyweight slugfest where both teams were trading blows and it was jabs and, and, and body blows. And you kind of just, I was, I was watching it and thinking like, okay, which team is finally going to land the first haymaker? Right. When are you going to get that, that shot that really changes the game, changes the course of the fight. And I think we saw that at the end of the third quarter, Clarkson gets a couple of buckets. Mike Conley hits Rudy Gobert on a cut for that, that just thunderous dunk jazz were rolling jazz got momentum they countered by they i mean the grizzlies and then again the jazz responded and it's just it just seems almost inevitable at this point that the jazz just flipped the switch they've got that it's winning time level that they can go to yeah and i think that you know when the grizzlies cut down that lead in the fourth quarter that like the first half of the fourth quarter I didn't feel too horrible about what the jazz were doing because, you know, in between the break between the third and fourth quarter, it's like we saw Jordan Clarkson go off the jazz build up a lead and it, it felt good for the jazz, but this was going to be a game where the jazz could go up three to one. That's a huge difference from tying the series two two. And so Memphis, you know, you knew that Memphis was going to come into that fourth quarter swinging. They were going to be doing everything they could. That DeAnthony Melton lineup is some is something that, uh, you know, Grizzlies fans have been hoping for. They've been wanting that lineup with those those guys running together. And, you know, it was like, this is your moment. You better shine. And they they gave it man. They gave it everything they had. Yeah. And and then Mike Conley was just like, nah, nah. (laughs) Nah, <laughs> nah, we're shutting that down. Yeah, in, it was such in, a huge in the words in the words of Russell Westbrook. Yeah, it was such a huge shift. He got that strip on jaw, which, by the way, is a block in the box score, which is weird. Um, oh, really? It was, it's because I mean, technically, I guess jaw was like going up for a shot and he pulled it away from him in the air is the way that they're scoring it. Sure. Um, whatever. Uh, Michael take whatever whatever it's labeled as so he gets the strip and runs down to the other side and hits a three and that that swing that single swing it was like okay the jazz have this yeah I I I had that uh, in my notes too like that was that was the definitive play of the game yeah it absolutely was it seemed like you know the Grizzlies had crawled back they've got a bit of momentum and that was finally, that was the knockout punch. Yeah. You know, they hit the haymaker early in the third quarter, the final knockdown where you win the round 10, eight, that was Mike Conley's strip in the three. And that's where all anxiety, all nerves that I had were totally gone. If you love listening to us here at Unsalvageable, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Here's the deal. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with BlueWire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, all of the other listening platforms. The best part is you can get all of this for only 15 bucks a month. 
The same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to me or Sarah, talk about your favorite team, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited. So get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more. Again, that's bwhustle.com slash join. I want to talk a little bit about some stuff that you had throughout the outline here. Mm-hmm. Derek Favors. I mean, I know that you, you've you said before that you know he's been hunted, but I think in this series, he is not Rudy Gobert. We know he's not Rudy Gobert. He's never going to be Rudy Gobert, but he has played some incredible minutes this series. He's been, he's been great. And he, I thought last night was one of the best games he's had all season. He was super active in the pick and roll. He got a couple of easy buckets, kept the Grizzlies at bay. I thought he was fabulous defensively and it seems like the jazz especially one thing i was i really liked in this game is that they weren't giving up the paint like they had in previous games i thought you know in the first quarter wasn't great i thought that but i think that's just read the game and you adjust and the jazz are are blitzing that pick and roll and are playing much higher in that pick and roll and it's it threw jaw off you know every game since that 47 point game his field goal percentage has gone down as well as his points. He had 23 points and I think he was like eight of 22 or something like that. And a lot of it has to do with Quinn Snyder's adjustments and the way the jazz are playing defense and taking away the paint. And Derek favors was enormous, especially in that aspect of the game. Yeah. And mean, you know, meanwhile, John Morant, his efficiency is going down. They're figuring out the Grizzlies and the Jazz's efficiency is going up. They're finding mm-hmm. the rhythm. They shot 48%, 48.6% from three on Monday night, which is a very good percentage. <laughs> yeah, if you're shooting almost, that's back-to-back games where they've hit almost half of their threes. Right. The Jazz are not a team you want to get into a shootout with. Mm-mm. They have too many weapons. Oh, and, and it, seems like, good. it seems like the Grizzlies were trying to do that. Yeah. Last night. Like, why are you trying? Don't beat, don't try to play into the Jazz's game. You're not going to beat the Jazz in a shootout. You're not going to, uh-uh. especially if you're the Grizzlies. I don't know why they were doing that. It was, I felt like that was a huge mistake on Memphis's part. I thought it was a huge mistake. I also think it has a lot to do with the way the Jazz protected the paint. Yeah, that's true. You know, they, when you, when you start blitzing that, that pick and roll and you start, you have your big, hedging and playing higher instead of playing drop coverage you're forcing them to beat you outside and the grizzlies as of right now the way this team is currently constituted does not have the shooters in order to compete with the utah jazz i think one of the big recurring themes of this series is the jazz are just they're just deeper they just simply have more talent and they have more experience and we're seeing that, especially in the in the clutch moments. Something that I saw on Monday night that really was a something positive, something that I think that we can look forward to was Donovan Mitchell looked extra springy, extra bouncy. He had that high, crazy rebound he went up for. He was a little bit more explosive, turned corners a little bit quicker. It just 
he that was the best that we've seen him in the series and i'm it's i don't know if it's too optimistic to think so but it it does look like he's feeling better on the ankle yeah i think that's that's pretty apparent that you know coming off screens hitting shots you know when you have that kind of i mean donovan mitchell's crazy explosive but be able to he seemed like he was back to donovan pre-injury uh, and another thing is we're really seeing the evolution of Donovan Mitchell in this series. He's the game. It's cliche to say, but it really is the truth that the game has slowed down for Donovan Mitchell. And like, while he hasn't, he hasn't shot great in this series, he's still getting to his spots. He's still uh, dictating pace. And he's drawing just, really, really smart contact. Yeah, he's he's getting to be very good at drawing fouls, which is really the next level and the next evolution of him as a scorer. We see we see that a lot with the best scorers in the game. I mean, the one the one guy who comes to mind is is James Harden. I know jazz fans hate it. I think that you know he doesn't always play the most aesthetically pleasing game, uh, but he's incredibly efficient. And if your jumper's not working, the next thing to do is to try to get yourself to the free throw line. And he's where done he hit twelve that. of thirteen. Yeah, where he hit twelve of thirteen on Monday. He's he's been hitting either high nineties or a hundred percent at the free throw line. So it's like he's not being incredibly efficient, but he knows that he can get going and that he can impact the game from the free throw line. That's just that's smart basketball, like you said. That the evolution of his game is has become really apparent just in these three games that he's played you know he he led all scores on monday with 30 points it didn't even feel like he had 30 points like it was so quiet and precise and deliberate and none of it was forced and i think that that's really important for donovan is to have these games where he can lead in scoring and it doesn't have to be him you know iso chucking you know, step back threes the whole time. I think that's another huge evolution in his game is that he's not forcing it. Like, and while like he missed some shots in this game, he still had, well, let's see. He had eight assists. Yeah. You're seeing him. He's not, he's not forcing it in ways that he has before in Mm -hmm. the playoffs. He's not, if you go back and watch some of those games he played against Houston early in his career, when you know the Jazz didn't have the supporting cast that they have now, and a lot of the uh, offensive load was put on on Donovan's shoulders, he forced a lot of shots, you know, and he would get in the paint and kind of like it seemed like he was he was kind of improving. Yeah, and no plan seems, B. Yeah, and he seems much more intentional now. He's he's picking and choosing his spots more. He's making the right reads better than he has ever before, and he just. When Donovan Mitchell was on the floor, A, you could see who the best player, at least offensively, was on the floor. It was it was incredibly apparent. And he just, he dictated the pace, the tempo, and everything else. And, and we're seeing kind of the evolution of Donovan Mitchell, the point guard. Something else, they are really hard to stop when Royce O'Neal is Ooh. hitting. Oh boy, oh boy. Royce O'Neal, he's hitting shots. He's playing lockdown defense. He's grabbing steals. He's running in transition. Man, he looked great. 
he rebounded his <laughs> off, which yeah. is another another thing that I wanted to talk about is the rebounding in this game. Great. So much, so, so, so much better. Kept so, the Grizzlies to seven offensive rebounds. The Grizzlies out-rebounded the Jazz by one. 51 to 50, and, which is, you know, they closed the gap and the rebound disparity wasn't a thing like it was. Not only that, but the Grizzlies missed 49 shots in the game yesterday. And they only got seven offensive rebounds. Yeah, that's like, my- you'll t- You will take that every single game. Absolutely. And that, you know, like you're saying, they they out-rebounded the Jazz by one. Well, when the Jazz are making all the shots that they have and they still are able to get that number of rebounds, mm-hmm. it's very impressive. It's I And Royce was such a huge part of that, whether it was, I mean, he was diving in for rebounds left and right. It looked like a, looked like a free safety or a cornerback like and it I just love when he plays like that I love when he's aggressive from the three-point line he was he was like looking for his which is mm-hmm. not something you can often say about Royce and I love when he's looking for his shot uh he was just absolutely great and, you know him Derek Jordan Clarkson shot himself out of a slump he he started the game very well had an incredible third quarter which we already mentioned but it was it was a good game for the role players for the jazz yeah agreed and i would also like to give a huge shout out to one grace and allen for doing grace and allen things because there was a there was a point if you go back and watch it it's, it's made the rounds on twitter where jordan clarkson drove kicked it out and and there was some words and there was some shove a little bit of a shove that grace and allen gave jordan clarkson that seemed to kind of ignite that fire. Yeah. And then it was it was a night and day difference. And Jordan Clarkson was like, I, I it's time to cook. Yeah. <laughs> and he had, he had he that that same play, he got the ball back, backed uh Grayson Allen down, little little floater in the paint, cash money. Got a got a, a three-pointer got another shot and then hits the the buzzer beater at the end of the third quarter. And it's like, yeah. Okay. Uh. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It was beautiful. And, you know, thanks to Grace and Allen for poking the bear. Yeah, you poked we appreciate them. your. We appreciate your service, sir. Poke the wrong bear, Grayson. You and your tiny, tiny little face. <laughs> He's got the smallest face I've ever seen on a human. It's, it's weird. Yeah. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. 
Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. There were some good things. There were some bad things. And as always on the accountability podcast of Unsalvageable, we (laughs) will bring you to account. George Niang. Oh, excuse you, Greg. (laughs) Just stop. Don't take those floaters, man. Don't just don't Don't do do that. Just don't do that. I would rather have you not shoot. I would rather have you be just non-existent than taking off balance floaters. You are George Niang. Gorgeous George. I guess stay in your lane. (laughs) It's, you know, it feels horrible to say it, but it really is. Here's the thing. Uh, Throughout this season, one of the things that George has been doing better, I think that we talked about on the pod, actually, is he's making quick decisions. When he gets the ball, he's very fast. Sometimes he makes a decision before the ball even gets to him, Mm -hmm. whether he's going to shoot or he's going to drive and then kick. Yeah. When he drives and then takes an off-balance floater, that's a a sort of a new development that I'm not okay with. (laughs) You're not that guy. Just drive and kick, man. You know, he's at his best when he's Kirkling's signature clay thompson yeah and that's fine do that I, those offers uh, i don't know where that came from and i every time it happened i think there was like two or three of them and i was like what is this kid what is he doing <laughs> there were a, a few wtfs in the uh the slack channel yeah <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing there were a few times and this happened this actually was part of the problem when d'anthony melton got loose in that early fourth quarter Mm -hmm. the primary defense whether it's I mean even for people we didn't expect whether it's Rudy Gobert Derek Favors who we expect to be good defenders or even like Boyan and Jordan and or Mm -hmm. Mike Conley the primary defense was very very good Mm -hmm. and they closed off an option or they they you know they made Grayson Allen give up the ball or they made Ja get out of the paint that whatever it was that primary defense on the first person was very good and it was like they lost the next person and so then you know D'Anthony Melton gets a backdoor cut or they leave Grayson Allen open at the three-point line just these that secondary help defense or the rotation or that closeout whatever that second thing was they were missing and that's that's disappointing and like I said I don't think that the Jazz played 100% they played a good Mm -hmm. game they played enough to win that's something that you can tighten up where you're just more communicative on defense and you and you just make sure that you're finishing the possession yeah I think that's that's perfectly said I'm doing a very good job today. You are firing on all cylinders. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sure your back is hurting from carrying me, but it's appreciated. The load is heavy, but I will carry on. <laughs> I'm a large man. A good series for the Jazz to start this out. Uh, look forward to them closing it out. Ah, uh, again, I agree. That you are firing on all cylinders. Listen, I'm just going to do the pod by myself. <laughs> this has been the recap portion, but there's more for us to talk about. A couple of things that we need to get to. The first thing that I'd like to talk about is, you know, we touched a little bit on Mark Eaton the other day. I think that it's important to acknowledge how close Eaton was with Rudy Gobert and how influential he was 
and cha- and helping to change Rudy Gobert into sort of this defensive stalwart that we know him as. Mm-hmm. It's not often that you get a guy like that. Who, I mean, the guy. I mean, he, Mark Eaton was from Southern California. There was really no reason for him to stay in Utah, but he did. Uh, he became a really important part of this community, and then he became a really important part of mentoring Rudy Gobert. And that's not something that can be taken lightly and something that jazz fans should know and appreciate. Yeah. I, again, totally agree. He was, you know, if you go back and watch those old jazz teams with Mark Eaton, he was Rudy Gobert before Rudy Gobert. The man was an, a giant, just a terror on the defensive end. When you hear people like Hakeem Olajuwon and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and these these legendary Hall of Fame players talking about how difficult it was to go up against Mark Eaton in a game, let alone a series, that really emphasizes how impactful of a player he was and. You saw it after his he retired, like you said, like this, this guy could have just gone away, but he was a huge advocate for players uh, after retirement and he took a mentorship role. I think he, he saw something special in Rudy Gobert. I think probably saw a little something of himself in there. And it's like, we need to, we need to cultivate this. And we've seen, we saw that relationship flourish and we saw how much uh, Gobert thrived because of that. And, learned so much and has become this transcendent defender and I think that you can attribute I can't say you can attribute all of it to Mark Eaton's mentorship but there's definitely a portion of that that you can attribute it to yeah and what some of the things that he taught Rudy are also some of the things that he he put into his book which by the way I have not read the four commitments of a winning team by Mark Eaton but I have heard good things about it. And especially as sort of a, I mean, exactly what it sounds like to sort of teach and reinforce the ideas that make a good teammate. And those are some of the things that he said and taught to Rudy before the book came out. He, you know, protect your teammates, always have their back. And, you know, that's something that it's, it's hard for a defensive player to sort of, play within that idea because a a lot of times a defensive player will think if I shut my man down I've done the job Mm -hmm. and for a guy like Rudy for a guy like Mark both two-time defensive players of the year playing defense is more about owning an entire area of the court and also being someone that you can rely on if you get if the other man gets beat it's it's so much deeper and and those are also lessons for life I just I think there was a lot that was special in what he was able to teach Rudy. And I, I just didn't want to pass that up without mentioning it. And, and even, even more so he was such a, uh, such a pillar of the community and a guy who was just, who always had time for fans or really whomever, you know, and you just don't get that graciousness a lot with players who is who is more that open I know I shared you know my my Park City coffee roaster story but he was like that to everyone yeah if you approached Mark Eaton you were going to get an autograph you were going to get a picture you were going to get a kind word he was so open um and just you could tell had such a genuine love for life 
And I think that's something that we can all glean. You know, I think there's a void of kindness if we're talking societally. And if, if we were to carry on Mark's legacy, it would be make that time, be kind, be open, have a kind word to say to someone and, and just kind of invite that love into your heart. That's a point that brings us to the next thing that I want to talk about. Yeah. It's unfortunate that we have to do this, but this it's, is a Utah. It sucks. <laughs> it sucks. We let's, let's say what it is. And it's, it's awful and it's embarrassing and it's pervasive and it is decades long. This is a Utah jazz podcast. And another incident happened at a Utah jazz game that we have to address. And I wish we didn't have to, which is just another reason that like, you know, people like this, it's infuriating that there are people like this. Mm -hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about the disgusting and racist things that were said to John Morant's family while trying to watch him play in his first playoffs games, Mm -hmm. but we've got to. And so here, here's what I will say. I don't want to hear excuses from anyone. I don't want to hear that, like, you know, a few bad apples, or I don't want to hear that, you know, there are other fan bases that are more racist. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear any of it. Guess what? A really horrible thing happened in Vivint Arena. Really disgusting things were said to John Morant's family, and it never should have happened. And if anyone, agrees with that which you should everyone should agree with that mm-hmm. then be better call it out say it when you see it call it out and tell people not to do those things. it's just like you you can't be a bystander anymore to this kind of stuff no you absolutely cannot and like like i i just said this is something that has been a huge problem for my entire life as a jazz fan you know, I think about it growing up, watching those those Jazz Sonic series, those Jazz Blazers series, those like really, you know, legendary series that you still see reruns on NBA TV. You know, and one of the points that everybody always talked about is just how raucous and how loud and how menacing jazz fans were, which was such a point of pride amongst jazz fans and rightfully so but then when you actually start to peel back the layers and understand what's being said and like that's that's no longer a a point of pride like there is a there is a fine line yes be loud support your team give them that home court advantage but when you start crossing the line and and saying just the most foul things when i have to read about how jazz fans are covering their eye and screaming cancer while derek fisher is at the free throw line when i hear when i read reports going back and doing research and hearing that Rod Strickland, Rashid Wallace, Kobe Bryant, Derek Fisher, Matt Barnes, Stephen Jackson, players that that span generations of NBA basketball talking about the racism and the vitriol and the absolutely disgusting things that they heard. It's, I'm almost at a loss of words right now because I'm so upset about it. Yeah. It's, 
And, and Craig, a- I think that everyone, sh- that's how everyone should be feeling. I feel like if you're not upset about this, then you're not looking at the right thing. Yeah. And I think this is just kind of extrapolating this. This is a societal issue, especially in Utah. Right. And if you're, if, if your argument is that this happens everywhere or that this happens more in other places, then why would you want it to happen here? Yeah. If, if you're still, yeah. you're still admitting that racism is happening. Right. You know, it's like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, uh, dismiss your friend with stage two cancer because you have a friend with stage four cancer right or or like oh well well people get cancer more often in boston uh yeah it's still happening here that that doesn't make it good sounds like a really good argument to try to i don't know get rid of the cancer right that's the thing instead of trying you're justifying garbage behavior right and there, there is no justification for that. No, there's absolute. That's the thing. There's no justification. There's no excuse. And there's no reason that we should try to be like sweeping this away as if, oh, just because, you know, it happened. If it was one time in the history of the Utah Jazz, one time is still too many. Uh-huh. But at this point, it's not. It's not one time. It's not isolated. There is a culture of this. And there are so many documented incidences, you know, and then jazz fans will scratch their head and be like, you know, we, the jazz have had so much success and, you know, they've rarely missed the playoffs and they've been kind of this bastion of, I guess, solidness, you know, like they're not a Knicks and they're not a Kings. Right. They're not the Knicks and they're not the Kings, but if you have a place in the NBA like that, and if you're going to be sort of a presence and always be solid and always be seen, always sort of on the big stage, even if you're not winning the finals, it's like even more so at that point, you have a responsibility to be solid in other areas. And you can't, I don't care if people are sick of being labeled as the racist fans in the NBA. I just don't care. If you're sick of that label, it then like, don't be defensive about it. Just be better. Do something about it. And, you know, and if you want to use the bad apple excuse, fine. But I want you to finish that sentence. The bad apple spoils the bunch. Exactly. Sorry, but this is something that you've been branded with. And that scarlet letter is front and center on your chest. And if you want it to go away, then do something about it. Yeah. It's, it, and the problem is I feel like we can't say anything that people haven't heard. And the people who are not bothered by this are probably going to continue to not be bothered. The people who are getting defensive are probably going to continue to be defensive. But hopefully, hopefully the people that are bothered by this, what you can do is you can call these things out more often uh, and you can, you can be that bastion of hope because mm-hmm. we need the people who care about this to, to stand up and and make this sort of a better situation as much as they possibly can. Um, There is something that I do kind of want to address because I think that this is a a pervasive problem in Utah. Utah, it's joked a lot about, oh, Utah's a bubble. Mm -hmm. And you know what? It kind of is. Yeah. Especially in certain communities. There are certain communities in Utah that are incredibly insular. Yeah. And incredibly homogenized. 
Yes. And you can go days, weeks. You can go an entire month without seeing someone who looks different than you or thinks different than you. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge problem. And that is where some of this, this racist ideology, you know, if I had a, a, a quarter for the amount of times I heard coded language like ghetto or right. thug, which it's just a really nice way of, I don't know, not saying the N word. Right. You know, and that's, that's really where it starts. It needs to start at a micro level. And so- I think- those, those really homogenous and, you know, insular communities that you're talking about, it's, it's a problem if you don't recognize that you're a part of that community, you know, if, if you can, if you can go a month without seeing a person of color, without running into someone who thinks differently than you, that's okay. If you can admit that there are people that think differently of you and that you don't understand the experiences of people who you don't know. But if mm-hmm. you are going to just say like, oh, there's not racism here because I don't encounter it. That's not true. You can't just blanket statement something just because you don't experience it. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't extrapolate an anecdotal experience and prescribe it to everyone. Right. And the bottom line is that there are a lot of examples of this throughout every community every society, etc. This was one example in the Utah jazz fan base. And that is one example too many. And we just be better. Yeah, be better. This is something that can be corrected. Instead of screaming racial epithets, scream at George Niang to not take off balance floaters. Yeah. There are a lot of things you can scream at. There are literally millions of words <laughs> in the English dictionary. Yeah. Pick better ones. Yes. Next time we'll get into a little bit more with what's going to come up for the jazz, what the other playoff series are looking like around the league, but it's important for us to, to end here and just leave you with those thoughts. So please remember to rate review subscribe download follow us at unsalvageables at dad champ dad at nba sarah do all of the things it really helps us out and i hope that everyone does better Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.